here they are with their family. They are cute, cuddly, empathetic. Here they are being tough on X, Y, or Z issue. That paints a much more colorful picture of a politician, which is always the goal. You know, in persuasion, you start with something like introducing the candidate. You try to make them human first. You try to say, here's how they got into this business because they care about X, Y, and Z just like you do. Here's how they're going to fight for you and why they deserve your... But then you think about the social landscape. The research and data is hugely significant. When we combine all of these different touch points. Build that long-term loyalty. And then diving into the clicks to leads to sales. It's gotten to a point where it can drive better results than audience targeting. And really is what's going to set you apart. You're tuning in. You're tuning in. You're tuning in to the How Agencies Thrive podcast. A lot has changed in the last few years, and because of this, marketers have had to adopt dynamic new strategies to keep up with the changing digital landscape. Now that the world has progressed, so have many of the ways of advertising and reaching your target audience. Depending on where you are in the world right now, you've probably noticed a lot of political campaigning in full swing. And if you're interested in peeling back the curtain, then we have a great episode for you today. In this episode, we have Nathan from StackAdapt and Todd from the Herald Group, Todd brings in years of experience in political advertising, and with the election season in full swing and picking up lots of momentum, this episode is sure to help you gain a better understanding of the landscape, as well as the rules to play by, and how to get an edge on competition with programmatic. So what we typically like to do with these episodes is give our audience a sense of who's on it. So um, what we'll do, Nathan, we'll start with you. You know, a little bit of a, an understanding of your experience, areas of expertise, how long you've been in the landscape. And then Todd will pass it over to you with the same questions. But if you could also tell us a little bit about the, the Herald Group, then we'll uh, go ahead and get started. So uh, starting with you, Nathan. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so I'm Nathan Saxman. I'm an account executive at Stack Adapt. Uh, I've got close to a decade of experience in politics, started as a field organizer, uh, and jumped agency side, uh, originally working in fundraising and uh, now uh, shifting over into media buying and and uh, been working with StackAdapt for uh, a little over a year now. My name is Todd Van Etten. I'm the chief digital strategist at the Herald Group. I've been here for eight years and I oversee uh, digital advertising, creative and kind of the fun stuff that we get to do when running campaigns. Uh, I got my start in in politics at the RNC way back in 2005 uh, when there were conversations about you know what is this facebook thing what is this twitter thing and does politics deserve any place on those platforms um i was firmly in the no camp but i lost that battle i was i was the rnc director a uh, digital director uh till about 2012 and then uh helped start a company with two former bosses called crowdverb that did large scale semantic analysis, um, listening to conversations online and putting together a public affairs campaign based on the composition uh, of, of you know, how certain audiences were talking about things in certain ways. From there, I went to Burson Marsteller, uh, a big global ad agency where I was for about two years. And then I spent two years at a smaller PR firm. And before finding the Herald Group, kind of a good Goldilocks move of big to small to just right. Yeah, happy to talk politics today. It is in my blood. Uh, it is. It's. It's what we do. So excited to dive into it. Fantastic. Yeah, Todd. I. I didn't know you had been in it that long, but that's that's cool to see that. You know, you were there in the early days where social media was kind of a question of, hey, is this is this something that's going to work? Funny enough, how things have turned out today, and you know, we'll we'll get into it a little bit about uh, how programmatic has really helped political advertisers in the. Uh, bit of the drought that we've seen with with social media but 
you know, this episode is is split up into four main questions. I'm sure there'll be a couple of things we find along the way, um, but we'll go through the first half, take a quick break, and then and then jump back into it. So, starting out, and and I'll leave the floor open to to both of you to to address this. But political is very unique as a vertical because unlike other verticals, your product is people, it's ideologies, it's a platform. That's not something you typically see with other verticals because it's it's pretty intangible sometimes. Um, and in that vein, with, with political advertising, naturally, there's this idea of persuasion. So um, to both of you, how does political persuasion typically work? And, and what are some of these rules, you know, whether they're written or unwritten that you can play by and what lines should you avoid crossing with, with political advertising? Starting with the second point, of course, you know, lines being crossed, there are legal distinctions with what you're able to do. Um, you know, if you're working for a PAC or a C3, C4, C3, C6, the nature of the entity that you are is going to inform the types of messages you're able to put out there, whether it's direct advocacy, um, whether it's issue advocacy, that kind of stuff. There are different legal distinctions, which means different reporting requirements for each of those things. But I think, you know, political persuasion generally is one of the big, probably the biggest bucket uh, when you talk about segmenting your audiences and your messages and your campaigns in political advertising. Generally, you know, you could put them into, into four big buckets. Um, persuasion is moving people. That is a whole bunch of, of testing, test, learn, grow is what we'd like to say. There is, you know, an absentee early vote bucket, which is usually separate. One might move from persuasion to ABEV uh, or EV. But the idea is, you know, can you decide if people are going to be early voters? That is people who are going to vote before election day or vote by mail. You need to treat them separately as a universe for the final phase of, of a you know, political campaign, which is get out the vote. Um, you know, before you could go heavy before the first Tuesday in November and say, everybody get out the vote on Tuesday, you know, let's help for you find your polling place. Do you need a ride? How can we make sure that this is a done deal? It is much more different now. I think in 2020, we saw lots of the rules change. All of those things mean that, that the dynamics of a campaign have changed for persuasion. You know, it's, it's funny. I had a, I had a political science professor in college talk about how, uh, campaign uh, political science is not like you know it's not beakers and and uh, Meyer Flynn flasks and other things like that. I probably got that wrong. I'm not a science guy, um, but it's not done in a laboratory. You know, it's it's much more um, it's much more hearts and minds and things like that. But but in many ways, I have always found that digital advertising is a lot like a science, um, where the the testing, the little dab of this, little dab of that. Uh, what is the fruit that comes from that? All of those things. Um, it is amazing the immediacy with which you can get responses, the quantifiable nature of just about everything online, whether it's whether it's polling, whether it's obviously election day, that kind of thing, the movement of audiences through a persuasion campaign, the way that you are able to learn about all of those things on the internet and test assumptions is pretty amazing. So generally, you know, you'd start with the, uh, the voter file, which are upkept by generally the parties, although the third, uh, you know, third party companies do have them. It's, it's generally a list of, of who is registered, who's not. Many states have partisan registration. Um, they have a primaries and you can kind of get a sense of, 
who the high propensity voters are, who the high propensity Republican or Democrat voters are. And based on that, you can amalgamate, you can add many different pieces of information and derive models to say, okay, these are the low propensity voters. These people only make it out in, you know, presidential election years. What message can we put in front of them to make sure they're going to come out in this off election year um, or for this ballot initiative or for this primary, that kind of stuff? That model is then going to say, you know, this is your universe of people who are persuadable. We generally know they, they know how to vote. Um, they generally vote the right way when they do. They just don't do it on the um, in the primary election. You know, let's go up with here are five major issues that are in the zeitgeist. Let's figure out which of those messages appeal to this person the most. And then you you uh, you get in front of them as many times as you can. And you generally see through things like polling, through things like, um, you know, brand surveys, favorability, any kind of quantifiable metric. If that person has moved, you know, ideally you want them to come to your website and say, yes, I am excited about this candidate and I'm going to show up on this uh, off election cycle. Here I am. Short of that, you could obviously see if they did at the end of the campaign, but generally that's that's how persuasion works it is that testing methodology it is getting in front of people a lot of times with different varied creative and seeing if you can get judging the receptivity for each of those messages and figuring out which one is going to help them do the right thing on election day the only thing that i really want to add to that is um uh, you know, Matt, you alluded to some of the differences between other verticals and, and political. But to Todd's point, a lot of that iterative testing takes place in other verticals. The, the key difference is how rapid it is. The, the, the iterations that you put forward, the different messages that you're testing in a, such a short time frame, because you have things like hard deadlines, i.e. elections, that you need to make sure you're getting your effective messaging out before that point. That's really what drives political. And and Todd, you, you alluded to some of the, the tools that are available in the programmatic space. You know, we always offer our, our lift studies where you, you can very uh you know, in a customizable way, offer a question to your audiences and evaluate how your your messaging is is influencing their propensity to vote or how receptive they are to certain messaging that you're putting out there. And that always complements outside polling that political organizations are doing as well. So lots of different measurement tactics that are in that space uh, that just make sure that your evolution of messaging is much more rapid uh, before those those firm deadlines. Fantastic. Well, thank you to to both of you for such a strong start to the episode. That's uh, it really brings us into the second question that we had. I mean, to to think about comparing last year, where we were at last year with political advertising to not just where we are now, but where it's going. Um, and and further to that, you know, what kind of role has technology played? So if we think of things like audiences, identity, attribution, how how has that started to transform the political advertising space? Colossally is is the answer. Uh, so much so that it's hard to stay on top of that stuff and keep up a day job of, of helping out clients and, and actually executing on on campaigns. I mean, I think that the general shift that we've seen to obviously 2016 was probably the biggest inflection year where people realized the power of data uh, and the power of external data 
um, which caused then the walled gardens, you know, your, your Twitters and your Facebooks to greatly limit what you're able to bring to the platform or take from the platform. All of those things, I think, have, have pushed the political advertising industry and, and I think all industries more toward network advertising and things away from socials. You know, before I think it was great that Facebook knew everything about your targets. As I say that flippantly, um, knew a whole lot about your targets and could help derive personas. Hey, I want to reach unregistered voters here who care about this. Facebook knew exactly who that was, but Facebook would not give you any information about who they are, how to reach them, that kind of stuff. They'd say, give us your ad dollars, give us your creative, and we'll show it to those people. You obviously get quantifiable things from those. If you're looking for clicks, if you're looking for signups, if you're looking for donations, um, those would come from there. But you don't get any information. You can't use any of that targeting to inform other segments of your ad campaign. And knowing that the, the political walled gardens are, the walled gardens generally are, are finite, um, obviously you want to use similar big analytics to inform other parts of your advertising. So I think, you know, the, the, the prevalence of third party data vendors who are able to do the really complex modeling uh, to help drive how you target means that then you can do a lot of your analysis offline, derive your models, either one-to-one -one or, or, you know, zip plus four or zip, somehow get a list of people who you think are going to be right for your message and then onboard them uh, through a tool like Stack Adapt where you can hit them with any number of, of advertising channels. What role has technology played in the audience? Nathan and I were chatting before this and I think this goes into a bit, uh, a bit of the next step too. Obviously, the amount of channels has increased greatly. The maturity of the channels has greatly improved. So things like CTV, um, which is much more mellifluously integrated into your your other digital campaigns in a way that before it wasn't. It's no longer you know a separate vendor who needs a separate line item who's going to bill things and report on things entirely separately. Um, you know, you now have kind of an apples to apples, at least in the efficacy of a separate channel like that against something like digital video, different pricing structure, obviously different occasion to use them, but you can generally get an apples to apples. I understand when I see metrics from this platform, how it compares to this. And because of that, as a political scientist, as a strategist, um, I know when to utilize one and not the other or one or the other. Uh, in a way that was really hard before. So I think um, when it comes to technology, the planning tools that are out there, um, where I can start with an audience and say, I would like to persuade this group of people in this state, you know, the technology exists to say, generally, that segment is interesting, Todd, here's the best way to find them. Uh, for persuasion, you're probably gonna want these channels. Here's the ideal meal media mix that you'll employ. Um, to hit them with the requisite reach and you know, frequency ahead of a campaign. And of course, in that, like we mentioned before, you throw in a few different creatives and you see if one gets more um, engagement than another. Uh, all of that stuff, I think, is is worlds different than what it was in previous cycles. And it's also only only going further. I think, you know, CTV is probably the biggest one. I think I heard this year that CTV is taking up more ad dollars than any other medium. Uh, it has surpassed cable this cycle. Um, I mean, that, that's an amazing stat, I think, uh, when it comes to where it was even, even two years ago. 
But I think with planning tools, you know, integrating things like radio, digital radio, podcasts, broadcast is kind of on my list for 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 dreams, but um, that's probably a while off from that. Just to bring it back, technology helps us say, I'd like to hit these people. Where are they? The abundance of tools out there that can say, this is the best way to reach them. And and, and uh, I think that's that's new this year for sure. And Todd, you know, I'll, I'll add just one thing to that as well. Uh, you know, the identity question is is huge in the programmatic space. And, and I think that uh, you know, platforms like like Stack Adapter are well suited to use some of the first party data that political organizations maintain. So, you know, your fundraising lists and also your general voter contact files. I mean, that's going to be golden as the ide- identity question online continues to be in flux. So, um, you, something where you're you're able to you know, campaigns are, are well suited to have those first party data sources on hand uh, and activate them across all of those channels uh, in a great way. So um, really just kind of tossing in there the idea that as identity continues to be a, a, an open question in the in what are the most effective ways to find people online, the, the political organization, first party data is is really a treasure trove. That's exactly right. I think that's a nice I mean, there's, there's a that dovetails. Just the question of identity more generally, people have been talking about the death of the cookie for a long time uh, and, and, you know, oh, gosh, we're all going to be out of business. Um, it is amazing to me, the, the forward thinking that has been going into that question for a long time, following up on it. Um, I think contextual targeting, people understand in the abstract, but just how sophisticated you can get with contextual targeting is is surprising and I feel like, you know, it's the kind of thing where I'm going to start employing it now, moving away from cookies myself, because the contextual is so powerful. You know, the idea that I can hit people on on certain domains or certain, you know, articles that have keywords um, around content that matches these other things that are in me. In a way, it does take a lot more creativity and a lot more, you know, f- forward brain power to say, what what else do I want surrounding my content? But the idea to customize based on that concept is super powerful. So I think one of the things we're excited about doing this election cycle is is really utilizing that, giving hard thought to that question, and then seeing if our frequency is higher, if the receptivity, or if we're able to, to conclusively say this person took an action and they were only touched because of these ads on these sites, as opposed to we blitzed them over here and, and got our frequency as high as possible. Did those two different use cases have a different path to the right outcome? That is one of the many tests that we are employing this, this cycle. <laughs> Political advertising on social media platforms can pose a bit of a challenge. So let's shift and, and talk a little bit more about how programmatic has helped political advertisers accomplish what traditional social hasn't. And, uh, you know, on top of this, to both of you, we're wondering, are there any uh, successes, any success stories? You know, you don't have to name names or but experiences that you've had in the last few years within this cohort of shifting from social to programmatic where, where you've seen a lot of success. There is no doubt that the socials have have at their own whim changed the way you're able to engage with politics online. For better, for worse, I think, I think you know, it's justifiable the steps they took. Um, I think they just announced yesterday 
uh, we're recording this in mid-August. Uh, <laughs> they just announced yesterday that, again, they're going to uh, institute a ban on new ads eight days before the election uh, here in America. So if your ad is not approved, which itself you know, could take uh, three or four days, if your ad's not approved by, I think, November 1st, uh, they will not approve it for new advertising. Um, a lot can happen in politics in eight days. Uh, there is a lot of nefarious stuff that could happen, but but also a lot of stuff that would be relevant for reaching new people. All of those have pushed people toward, uh, as I mentioned before, I think third party data, external sources. Th that is to say, it's it is you know the programmatic angle, reaching people wherever they are, and allowing ad platforms to say yes, we know who that person is, and we know how to reach them. Um, it it is a it is a more difficult transition, I think. You know, when I started at the Herald Group in 2014, 2015, it wasn't a big part of what we did. It is, it is now the biggest. So, you know, when it, we, uh, at the Herald Group, we do a lot of advocacy advertising, um, you know, a lot of reach your congressman here, that kind of stuff. Social is, is the dominant place to do that kind of stuff. Um, if you are looking for just direct outreach uh, and direct response kind of stuff, we have found that to be very successful when it comes to persuasion. I think what, you know, the new tools from things like programmatic are, yes, you can identify individuals and hit them with branded ads, but it's things like native advertising, which, uh, unless I'm mistaken, I think is, it's kind of the bread and butter of, of what stack app does native advertising allows you to, you know, uh, if someone's reading national review or someone's reading slate.com, see a headline, that maybe imparts a message that then links to a subsequent article that has more information about that, all without introducing who is trying to promote that message to that person. That is incredibly powerful when it comes to uh, the persuasion angle of campaigns. Someone may have a bad taste for Republicans or for Democrats or for Libertarians or for independents or some political stripe where if they see an R next to a name, they're going to say, you get away from me. But if you can start to introduce messages that say, you know, this this state of the country is is questionable. And, and you know, well, I'm not sure the exact cause, but it may be due to these policies. If you can start to introduce headlines like that and find someone who's clicking them more often than not reading that Wall Street Journal op-ed, reading that uh, National Review opinion piece, reading that news article about the increase in this or that bad thing, you can start to say, aha, I've got, I've got a lead here. I've got someone who maybe the data said was firmly in one camp, but I feel like be because of these, uh, you know, on this issue in particular, we may have an entree to get that person to start to think the right way. Um, and from that, start to introduce more and more, you know, different issues. Maybe then you come in with some solutions and then maybe then you come in and introduce candidate who voila espouses all of those positions and is going to fight for them and fight for you and make the world a better place. Um, that sort of stuff, I think, you know, uh, with the transparency that things like Facebook and Facebook have instituted, Facebook and Twitter have instituted, it explicitly removes that angle from advertising because it's all about here's who the organization is that is targeting you and here's why you're being targeted and, and here's how to learn more about them. So not nefarious in any in 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 that sense of the term, but uh, or in the sense of the term that it could be. Yeah, and and Todd actually, it, if I can jump in here, the the um, 
effectively what you've done is then you've you've primed your audience for action, right? And so then when when they inevitably open that Facebook app or wherever it is, uh, you know, you can use tools like, uh, you know, Stack Adapt has a, a social retargeting pixel where you can populate a retargeting audience on Facebook. And then you know that the people you're serving your social ads to have already been exposed to those those native campaigns that you've been running. So it's it's a way to seriously tack on some some data that is no longer available in in some of those social platforms and and augment uh augment your 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 kind of action driven campaigns on those on those social platforms. So coupled together it it makes a very strong funnel towards uh action taking and that that's way. that's totally right. I mean, it also it also just introduces another angle of of creativity, of testing. You know, Facebook is a platform where you want to see pictures of of your friends, puppies and your friends, kids in that order. Just kidding. Uh, you know, y- you want to see kind of the, m- the more thoughtful family stuff. That's where pictures of the candidate and his wife at a barbecue go. That's where the forward thinking messages go. You know, you can utilize network or at least utilize different maybe it's different deals or different uh, different white labels or different segments to then maybe take a harsher tone on these types of websites. So it's the same candidate, but you can introduce these things over here. You know, it's, it's possible that someone is, is they'll make the connection between the two. They will see a much fuller picture of a candidate. Here they are with their family. They are cute, cuddly, empathetic. Here they are being tough on X, Y, or Z issue. That paints a much more colorful picture of a politician, which is always the goal. You know, in, in persuasion, you start with something like introducing the candidate. Um, you try to make them human first. You try to say, here's how they 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 got into this business because they care about X, Y, and Z just like you do. You know, you, it's, here's how they're gonna here's how they're gonna fight for you and why they deserve your vote. That is uh, that is awfully powerful when it comes to strategizing about how to reach and change minds. Fantastic. Well, this puts us in a great spot for our final question about succeeding in the vertical. I think we, we've already addressed a lot of this in the episode, but uh, from from both sides, you know, for from Todd, from you at the agency and uh, Nathan, from you at Stack Adapt, you know, what does it take to succeed in this vertical and what are some best practices or trends that people should be paying attention to as we head into the coming months? curiosity about how to reach people on in, in politics is almost more important than ideology in many ways. You know, there, there is a plethora of issues that are going to move somebody in some direction. Uh, and if you are, you know, pro-life or pro-choice or you're super pro-A or, you know, pro-Second Amendment or anti-Second Amendment, knowing the issues that is going to move someone in your direction is going to be most important. And, and you may be, you know, uh, figuring out exactly where they are and how they're going to persuade people is, is what it comes down to. That kind of curiosity of which of those messages on which platform, in which cadence, at what frequency, when in the campaign, all of those things um, you are able to test. You're able to throw in new forms of advertising. As, as planning gets more sophisticated, you're able to know more ahead of time, which in many cases makes choices harder because when you, you know, when you eliminate this or that variable because the data told you so, you then say, aha, what if we do this or that? Uh, all of those lead to different use cases. 
different ways to approach different solutions and ultimately more fun. I would say the other thing is, is, you know, having a team around you that is similarly curious. We, you know, we talk about curiosity, creative, the, the fun side of this stuff too, but there's a whole lot of empirical data that comes into it. Making sure that you are sober about how to read empirical data, how to read ad reports, how to read different metrics that come from different platforms is very important. Spreadsheets run my life. Spreadsheets are the, are the foundation of, of my team's lives. Figuring out how to get an apples to apples, how to report to client, all of that stuff is is really, really important. So it, you know, uh, I say curiosity, but it's all, you know, curiosity, I think, leads you off into the world of possibilities. You do also need to have a firm grounding in what is doable, what is quantifiable, and if it is quantifiable, how can we do so in a scalable way where it's not, you know, great reporting now takes 25 hours and we learned a whole bunch of stuff. How do you, you know, test? Be specific about variables that are being tested. Keep everything else the same as much as possible and use those results to optimize a campaign to make yourself smarter, to make the client smarter, and, and ultimately to, to have a favorable election come election day. From my perspective, I, I like to think that that curiosity is, is driven by kind of a, a humility and understanding that you, know, you are not necessarily in the heads of all of your voters. You need to you need to seek that out. You need to find the ways that they're going to be moved to to to, to vote for your candidate or or you support support the your legislation, because at the end of the day, that is really the metric of success, right? Come election day, do you did you win or lose, right? Did the legislation pass or did it not, right? And and so that's what you're measured up against. It's that curiosity that that takes you there. Um, I'm I'm curious, you know, Todd, and, and maybe I'm I'm adding another question in here, but uh, when it comes to kind of some of the the the, the best practices you have for um, finding those new tactics and, and engaging that curiosity, what are some of the things you and your team have found are, are most effective in 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 keeping you learning as as the election season goes on? There's any number of, of I think uh, to your first point, Nathan. I think you know I'm I'm nothing gets me more delighted than being proved wrong by data. If I say this message is going to work 10 times better than the one you silly client think is going to work uh, and I am proved wrong, I do not get, you know, mine gets less clicks or less receptivity. I have no problem eating crow. It, it always ends up being fun anyway. That's an empowerful, that's, that's a powerful part of what we do is, is uh, proving assumptions wrong. You know, we, we eat, live, breathe, uh, and and do everything in, in online advertising. So it's it's hard to stay away from it in some ways. I think Stack Adapt does a fantastic job of both introducing tools, but then also keeping clients uh, abreast of those tools. You know, there's there's industry pieces out there. I don't know if there's one or two, you know, publications or places where I'd stay to stay on top of. Uh, it, it is also, you know, Google is your best friend in this world too. As you start to ideate, and say, how can I do this? Or I have an assumption, I have a feeling that this is going to work. Inevitably, you'll reach a place where the current tools that you have cannot do that. And you say, oh, shoot, I thought there was something out there. If you Google it, you will find a tool that fills that hole, that does that niche, that performs this one operation. That then means, great, here's another license I have to manage, but it does mean that I get to test this assumption and uh, derive value from it 
uh, in, in a way that, you know, I was limited over here. Now there's this new thing. Great. The amount of times I have gone down that road and found a vendor, you know, I, I not to personal with Stack Adapt. I found Stack Adapt because I saw a native ad that was gorgeous, that was just wonderfully flowed into content on another site. And I kind of reversed engineer it, looked at the URL it was pointing to, saw a Stack Adapt reference, reached out. Um, that's how my engagement started. So it was that curiosity of that's a gorgeous ad. I need to know how and who is doing that led to a relationship that's been now uh, four or five years in the making. That kind of stuff. I, I encourage my team and others at the Herald Group constantly. If you see something interesting on the internet, let me know. If you take an advocacy action, if you sign up for a newsletter, donate to a political campaign, and you had a good experience or a bad experience, tell me about it. I want to know what you liked, what you didn't like. Anyone listening, please look me up and shoot me a note about an ad you liked or didn't like, and we'll, we'll geek out over, over why it was effective or why it wasn't. All of that stuff, I think, makes us smarter in a way where there's, you know, it's, it's uh, infinite opportunities to grow, infinite opportunities for, for introducing new ways of doing things, and ultimately infinite ways of, of getting to election day with a favorable outcome. That's why this world's so fun. Fantastic. Well, you know, that puts us just about at our time. I wanted to say thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Todd, for joining us on this episode. To all of our listeners who are operating in the political vertical, we wish you best of luck in your campaigns. And we hope you took a lot away from this episode. Until then, this has been the How Agencies Thrive podcast. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the How Agencies Thrive podcast. If you like what you heard, then there's three things that you can do to support the show. Number one, subscribe. Number two, leave us a review. And number three, share our podcast on social media or with anyone who might find value in this content. If you have questions or feedback or just want to learn how agencies and brands work with StackAdapt, you can find us at stackadapt.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.